So Romans chapter 13, verse 3. I have four different translations in front of me. Um, Hopefully one of them will give us the best clarity as we go through this. I always read the New King James and then compare other stuff to it. And uh, it was no different uh, for Romans as is the other scripture. The only problem is when you got four translations in front of you, they all look blurred together. Um, goodness. Okay, here we are. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good and you will have praise from the same. Um, in Paul's words here, as he... Because I had some questions I was asking myself, and, and I become skeptical, you know, about authority sometimes, and I and I put the exception to the rule into play and say, well, Paul, what about this, you know? And in authority, there are times when certain authority are not going to care whether you do good or not. Certain authorities are going to be upset if you do good and don't do wickedness along with them or aren't a part of the corruption. They're not going to like that or, or support them in theirs. So although Paul says here that authority is God put in that position for us and if we do good, we don't have anything to be afraid of. I think what he's trying to say is in a situation where the authority is set up and structured in a logical, natural sense, not a corrupt one. Because if a person's in a corrupt environment, um, say, for instance, a young kid is in a gang, there's no authority there that's really over him. Do you see what I mean by that? He's got other gang leaders who are in the gang before him, have him do initiation and all that. And if he does what's good, it's good according to the authorities. doesn't mean it's good according to God. So if you do what's good... They're not going to like you, but if you do what's good according to the gang, you will be liked and you'll be a part of it. So what I'm trying to say is there are exceptions to what Paul's saying. If you try to blanket this and say every authority is good, and if you do good, your God's going to be blessed with that. He's not talking about corruption in terms of um, corrupt systems. He's talking about well, I'm going to say this and everybody's going to go, well, that's corrupt. Government. <laughs> Politics. All that other stuff. I mean, we're going to say, yeah, if we'll just respect our authorities and do what's good. But in a sense, if we mind our business and do what we're supposed to according to the law of the land, they're not going to mess with us in, in government. Not really. Because they are not really concerned with a citizen or a person in the country who's doing the right thing. According to God's standards. They, they don't care if you live a godly life. They don't mind that. What they do care about is if you're corrupting society or their plans. Then they really don't like you. So, um, when he says that these rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil... That's true if they're authorities who are not corrupt and not in places where um, the natural structure of things flows. It's, uh, I think that makes sense. I look, I look at it like the way it reads there is like, for instance, our uh, police departments, you know, our if they are a truly uh, Exactly. The honest, the on, that's honest way. You know, yes, you know, there's corrupt everybody. There's things 
in every system there's people that are corrupt and not. But that's not who he's talking about. Right. There's a, at that time, the Romans were basically in charge. And if a Roman soldier told you to carry his backpack, you had to carry it about a mile. And, uh, and if you didn't, then you're resisting authority. But if you do carry it, you haven't done anything wrong. And they're not going to be mad at you for doing what is required. Um, Jesus said, if someone compels you to carry their backpack or their pack a mile, carry it too. That second mile Christian comes from that phrase. And so if you're doing good, they're not going to be upset with you. And the difference, I believe, for a believer and a non-believer is that we do it with joy, we do it with thankfulness, and we do it with a servant's heart. After church day, this, this is nothing big or anything, but my wife and I went over to Kim and Jim's house for lunch, and Jim's working on getting his surface of his pool liner cleaned off. And I'm sitting there, uh, talking with his wife and my wife, and he's pulling leaves off, sucking the water off, and, 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 and I'm going, you know, I should be helping him because, you know, that's what he, he's a friend, you know. Well, he stopped and started cooking the burgers, and I went over and started pulling stuff off. And I smiled and said, this isn't work on the Sabbath because I'm helping you. It's only work if I'm getting benefit from it. So, so, so I'm helping him do that. And and it's like with joy, you know. It's not like not, I feel obligated and I'm mad that I'm doing it. I'm doing it with joy. And that's what God wants us to do is serve with gladness. And I think that's what he's trying to say here, that whatever you're under, whatever authority you're under, if you do it with gladness and joy in your heart, they're not going to be upset about that. Otherwise, it's a dime a dozen people who complain all the way and grumble and be hateful and talk bad about authority. There's a dime a dozen there. You know, when I was a kid, my mama had me scared to death of cops. And she didn't, she didn't mean to harm me, but she would always, you don't do this, there's a cop there, or there's a sheriff there, or something. And it's talking about them in here, but uh, she, she had me thinking that they were bad people, you know. I tried not to do that, but it's hard not to sometimes. It's true. It's funny, I just got a text pop up and it's from Jim saying thanks for coming over. <laughs> so, ironic that I say that. Maybe he's watching and that's why he's going, hey, watch this, you know. <laughs> I'm going to surprise him. Well, if that's the case, I see you <laughs> watching me there. Um, so, in verse 4, the authority is God's Minister to you for good. If you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, he's talk, again talking about the Romans that they're facing. I, I really wish we could have last time's discussion over again, because what he's talking about in authority here is specifically Roman. Specifically. He's talking about a sword. I didn't look ahead at the verse coming up. But they carry a sword. And that, that's a Roman. They were armed. The centurions and all those folks who were... Well, if you, like in Israel, we had all those folks who were armed. If we did something wrong, you know, they would let us know. They carried the sword of the day. They did. Now it was a gun. It was a gun in Israel, yeah. We, um, if we'd have done something wrong, we'd have known about it. But as long as we behaved, we were fine. But there was always military presence somewhere nearby. Always. And, uh. Can't really blame them. Nope. No, all over. I mean, checkpoints everywhere. I mean, hard to explain, but yeah. If you haven't been there, it's hard to explain what it's like. Yes, I talked to several of them, because everyone has to serve in the military in Israel. Mm -hmm. They're some of the nicest, most polite young people I've ever met. That's true. I talked to a couple. Mm hmm. I talked to them myself, and I just was blown away how how kind and respectful they were to me. If I'd have been rude, they probably would have said, move along. <laughs> but it's true because um, when we think about authority, 
we're, we're taking our experience of authority. If we take our experience of authority and try to put in the context of what Paul's talking about here in Romans, we're going to miss it. Because Paul is specifically talking about the Roman authority that's over them and how they didn't want to be subject to the Roman authority. They didn't like it because they weren't uh, Christian. Roman weren't Christian. But in the Roman authority, if you did what was right, they didn't mess with you. And so Paul said, if you do what's good, you're fine. But if you start acting up and acting the fool, as we say, then they're going to uh, make sure that you understand that that's not helpful. <laughs> and they will let you know that uh, you will be rewarded for your bad behavior instead of not uh, messed with for your good. And so he says in verse 5, Therefore be subject not only because of wrath, but also your conscience. You want a clean conscience before God and people. I love this. I love the context of verse 6. Um, y'all, I read just the first part and it just makes me laugh because we go, Oh, that's authority again. I don't like that authority. It says... For because of this, you also pay taxes. <laughs> because of authority, you pay taxes. You pay for the privilege of the folks to have authority over you. They paid taxes to the Romans. And they were not Romans, but they paid taxes to the Rome, Roman uh, government because they're in Rome. They're under Caesar's authority. And under the... Whoever was uh, under him that covered the Rome, Rome area. What do you call it? The tet, not the Tetrarch, but the jurisdiction, I guess they called it and at that time. It was a subject state. Subject state. Yeah. And like Herod had one uh, that was like Israel and old Judea through there. I have a map of where all he was over. Then next to him, somebody else who was Roman had that one, and then someone else had another one. In Rome area, Caesar's above it all, but in Rome, Caesar's not going to run the little stuff. He's letting that to somebody else. He runs the big stuff. And so, taxes go over to Rome. And because of this, because of their authority, you pay taxes. And it says they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. The IRS, to me, does not seem like God's minister. As a matter of fact, I saw this joke one time, and it, it's not funny, but it says, the IRS, put it together, it spells theirs. T-H-E-I-R-S is theirs. So, the IRS, everything you got is theirs. <laughs> Especially if you do something uh, illegal, tax-wise. Um, but the re reason I mention this is because when we hear about taxes, we think about our tax structure in the government. But theirs was different. They didn't do income tax. You had taxes where you went somewhere. Uh, if you entered in or out of a city, you paid a tax. If you had uh, something else going on, marriage or anything else, there were taxes on all that. That's how the government got it. And if you didn't pay the tax... You would be in trouble. We got sales tax, which is like, uh, we already pay income tax. Now we're paying sales tax, six and a half percent on everything we make that we spend. And on top of the stuff that we don't get to see because it's already taxed away. So our tax rate's higher than what it seems and all those hidden taxes too. But I'm saying all this because, um, I'm getting myself off track is that in their society at that time, when they were trying to be subject to authorities, they were trying to understand this question. Why should I pay taxes to Caesar who sets him up as God, himself as God, and not give that to the work of God through the church? And that was the basic question that was going on here. Why can't I just send my money to the church Instead of to Caesar, because he says he's God, and therefore I'm supporting a guy who says he's not God. And Paul says he's put there, to, and you need to respect that. Whether you like it or not, you're under that authority, so you have to do what that authority says. If you don't pay the tax, you're going to get consequences for that. And in the Roman government, that consequences were attention you did not want. It wasn't, well, you're going to be audited. 
There is no audit. There is strung up and tied and a quick trial followed by a capital punishment. Or thrown into debtor's prison, whichever. Something. Yes, exactly. So it's a different society. And we try to put our spin on it because we're used to our society. But that's not what they faced. And so it's hard to put our context and get rid of that and absorb their context to understand what Paul's saying. Because there are people, when you talk about authority, say, well, I don't like authority. And they mean, I don't like police. I don't like lawyers. I don't like judges. I don't like our judicial system. I don't like our presidential system. I don't like our governor. Don't like the mayor. You know, all this other stuff. I don't like anybody in authority. The kind of thing. They rebel. But this is not what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about a government that was set in place that the people said, why do we have to subject ourselves to this when we're actually subject to God? This authority isn't our authority. God is. And this is the question Paul's answering here. So be submissive to the proper authorities, knowing that that is not your loyalty. Your loyalty is to God. And this is what he's trying to say. And, and you'll see it as he unfolds throughout this chapter what's coming next, how you do that. So he says in verse 7, So rendered therefore everybody their due. Taxes to whom taxes? It's God's, not God's money, it's Caesar's money. <laughs> so give it back to him, <laughs> kind of thing. Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Always give the right thing that belongs to where it belongs. Fulfill your obligations as a citizen, in other words. Respect your leaders, whether you like them or not. What do they say? You may not like the president, but always respect the office. Always. And so here's where he gives his practical instructions in all this. In verse 8. Owe nobody anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. We've been hearing that every Sunday morning for quite a while, haven't we? Jesus says, love one another. Now Paul's saying, don't owe anybody anything except to love them. So he means don't borrow from them. That'd be one thing he's trying to say, but more so, don't run up a debt except the debt of love. I got a, a kind of an interesting story that happened this week. And it was really um, eye-opening for me. I have some friends, and uh, they had cut ties with us several years ago. And I never knew why. And so, when I would see them around town, I would be resentful. And, and upset about that. And so, every time I'd see them, I'd be going... Well, they left us, you know, and, and resent and just keep them arm's length because, you know, you're not going to hurt me some more type thing. Well, Friday, I got to hear their story and what had happened in their life. As they're telling their story, and, and, and it was in a group of us, and they were telling their story, and they told the part about uh, our relationship with them and some other people that were friends with relationship with them. And I said... Oh, I really loved them back then. And my heart ached for that. And I realized that it was my own resentments that was preventing my heart from reaching out to love them. So in my mind, I owed them resentment and anger and frustration. And here Paul's saying, don't owe anybody anything but love. Don't, don't owe a resentment. Don't owe a bitterness. Don't owe them forgiveness. Owe them love. Sometimes we see that as just a monetary thing because we're so fiscally minded in our lives and we hear debt and money and owe. But love is not a fiscal obligation. Love is a heart obligation. Owe nobody anything but to love them. And you can't love somebody you got a wall against because of resentment. So I had to let that go. And I was able to converse and embrace. And it was really cool because... They said, we want to get together with you guys again. We miss you. And before that, I just said, yeah, whatever. Instead, I said, man, really? That'd be awesome. 
And I'm in it. It makes me feel joy. Because I missed him. And I no longer had the resentment. So don't, don't owe anybody anything but love. And resentments aren't things that we would typically think of as owing. We'd think more like they owe us. Because <laughs> they did us wrong. And they need to make it right. But the truth of the matter is, all we owe each other is love. It's all we need to share between each other. Anything shared beyond that, that isn't love-based, we don't know. And we don't need to keep it between us. That's what he's saying. And if you love another, you fulfilled the law. You've loved them. What's the law? Love one another. That's what Christ said it is. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal. You shall not bear fault witness. You shall not covet. All, and if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbors yourself. I'm reading, uh, that was verse eight, uh, 9, sorry. And 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. To love. Where in this statement about love do you hear anybody saying, I don't trust authorities, I don't like them. It has nothing to do with relationship there. And I'll tell you why. Because most people who do not like authority do not like authority in general. They have resentment for authority, but you can't have a relationship with something in general. You have relationship with people in specific. I can't have a relationship with a city. I have a relationship with people, one person at a time. You know, we're in relationship individually. Yes, we're as a group as a church, but we have relationship one with another. Because you can't say, well, I love everybody here the same, because you don't. Different time and different ways of sharing that love throughout your life. And so when we say, I don't like authority, I can't stand authority, what we're saying is blanket, unless we're referring to one person. If we're referring to one person, then we have a resentment or an anger that we need to bring to God so we can begin to love that one. But that one shouldn't represent all. So love is an individual thing that we do with people one person at a time. An authority, in general, we think of as just this blanket thing, not an individual. If you ever heard somebody say, I don't like authority, you say, who? They're going to go, all of it. Well, there you go. Now you know they're, they're not specific. They just don't want anybody to tell them what to do. But they have not got a resentment toward a person. they got a resentment towards being controlled. So then, verse 11, do this, knowing the time. Boy, he's got knowing the time like he knows about our time too, right? Knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. Every day we get closer to our drawing near and full redemption in Jesus Christ. Every day that we're not all the way home, we get another day closer. Would you agree? Every day is one more day closer to home. Yeah, every day we're closer. One day closer. Every day our salvation is closer and closer and closer. It's just in one more day and one more step and we get another day closer. The night is far spent. This is verse 12. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That imagery is really good. Armor of light. What do you think armor of light would refer to? Living. Yeah, that's what the New Living says, uh-huh. That's what the armor is. Living right. Do I understand that right? It's, yes. 
You ever heard of a knight in shining armor? It don't mean that. <laughs> it don't mean metal coat shiny up bright. Okay? Um, the armor of light simply is that you reflect the light of Christ on you. That you're armored up with the light and love of God. And a funny thing about that is, whether you, whether you know it or not, that actually the strongest defense you can have is to love with the light of God. And it's hard to combat that. I know one time I decided to try the Proverbs, a, a gentle word turns away wrath. And someone was mad at me. I think it was at college. I can't remember the situation or the time of the situation. But there was someone mad at me. And I can't remember. I did something stupid. I do remember that. And, and they came up to me mad. And they said, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. And I went, you know, you're right. I'm, I messed up. And you're absolutely right. And they go, and you're... Oh, yeah. Oh. And, I'm, and I said, and I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I, I made a mistake. It was my bad. And they went, but, yeah, and don't ever do it again. And I said, you're right, I need to never do that again. You're absolutely right, and I'm going to do that. And he goes, well, I'm glad we had this conversation. <laughs> so, the armor of light, if you're putting love out and kindness, and someone's angry, it's really hard for them to be angry when you're loving them in kindness and gentleness. And it's not because like they're more powerful or stronger than you. It's because God in you is allowing you to love regardless of circumstance. It took me a long time after that to learn. I promise you, a long time to learn that no matter what people say about me or what they think about me, it's their opinion. And so if someone says I'm stupid, I can agree. You know, I, I could see how you can see that. You know, I could say that. Because I've seen myself that way before. Or, you're lazy. I can see how you see that. And, and, and I'm not going, no, I'm not. Because that, that invites wrath and argument. But if it's a kind word in agreeing with them, they're not going to go, you know, you're dumb for agreeing with me. They're not going to think like that. They don't talk like that. Nobody does. Wouldn't it be interesting, Larry Joe, if you went up to a customer and says, you know, you need life insurance for your family because, you know, you're getting closer to the time when you're going to have to provide. What if happens? How are you going to provide for them? And, and they, you're used to them going, well, I don't know. And what if they said, well, how much should you suggest I would need? Because I want to go with what you say because you know this better than I do. And you're going to go, whoa, they trust me. I better lead them right. Because they trust you. It's a different answer than you normally get. Most people are resisting sales calls. Most people that I know hate to do cold calling on sales for that very reason. Because nobody trusts a salesman. If you think I'm being a little off base here, then let me say this. How many of you trust used car salesmen to tell you the truth 100%? Anybody? Car runs great. Nothing wrong with it. And it we... Better, better yeah. Well, I don't think you'll have any disappointment with this vehicle. Is there anything wrong with it? Not that I know of. <laughs> yeah, not that I know of. How long have you had this car? I don't know. I'm just supposed to sell them. <laughs> Now, are you going to buy it from that person? Who knows, right? But we don't trust used car salesmen. They get a bad rap. Almost as bad a rap as lawyers. We don't trust them either. But the reason I say all this is because if you're kind and they are kind and loving, you're putting out the light of God. And people don't know how to respond to that because it's uncommon. In this world, it's becoming more and more uncommon. And people think they're taking advantage of us. They think we're taking advantage of us when we're being kind. But in actuality, it costs us nothing whatsoever to be kind to somebody. Someone says, oh, I took advantage of their kindness. And an attorney will say, no, you didn't. <laughs> I chose to. 
I'm, I'm loving you. Whether you think it, you're taking advantage of me, not, I'm loving you. And that's my heart for God in me. That's the armor of light. It's a great defense because it doesn't need to be offensive to love God. So let us walk properly as in the day. This is verse 13. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Rather, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You know, if if I was uh, preaching through the book of Romans, those two verses would take two weeks to preach. I'm just going to spend a few seconds on them. Um, if we walk properly, and we're not in strife or envy or lewdness or lust, we're simply living out the grace of God with people around us. It's very practical what he's saying here. But then he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that twist, <laughs> for, for, for lack of a, a better way to say that is, you're putting on Christ like the armor of God. You're trying to put Him on, right? Um, and when you do so, there's something else that you got to do. And he says, don't make provision for your flesh. Provision. Hmm. What is a provision for the flesh? Well, let's take this back to their context. They're familiar with Roman soldiers. What does a soldier need to make it through his day? No, I mean to survive. Like, What does he need to carry with him? Or what do people need to provide for him? He's not at home. Food, water... Yeah, uh-huh. Shelter. What's that called? Provisions. Provisions, yeah. So he's saying, don't make provisions for the flesh for its lust. Don't give it what it wants to use for lustful purposes. In other words, if you know there's something that your body is wanting you to do, addiction-wise or otherwise, and you make provision for that, then you've helped your body to not be subject to God, but rather to itself. He says, don't give yourself provisions to do the wrong thing. I think if you see that in the military way, but now understand we're engaged in a spiritual battle, every day, spiritual warfare, and the only thing we provision ourselves with is the armor of God, the armor of light, uh, you know, the armor, the, what do you call it? Prayer, uh, good works, kindness, love, grace. Those are provisions for walking in faith. Anything else you add to that doesn't help. It does not help. That becomes provisions for the lust, uh, uh, the lust of the flesh. I think one way you can say this is be ready to serve God at any moment and don't have utter plans to fulfill selfish desires. Well, if, you know, if I can't think of anything for God today, I'm going to go spend this on myself and indulge in something that's ungodly. There are a lot of people who make provisions for the flesh. Sadly, in our country, World 2, one of the number one industries and fastest growing is the online porn industry. Did you know that? I'm not surprised. There are over 3,000 new porn sites every day made. And they all make profit. The Bible says you cannot satisfy the lust of the flesh because uh, we always want more. Scripture says this, and I like this, Hell is never full. That's why your eyes never satisfied. <laughs> You'll always want to see more and do more and feel more. So don't make provision for that. Don't give yourself opportunity to be drawn away from the grace and love of other people. Because if you make that provision, you're not going to be able to serve with a joyful heart. And you won't be light, that's for sure. 
chapter 14, verse 1, talking about the law of liberty. Um, there's a lot of different subtitles and the different translations on this, but the law of liberty is what uh, Scripture I use generally says. It says, receive somebody who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge one who eats, for God has received him. Why would we judge another's servant? To his own mastery stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, people have their own habits and way of living that are not harmful to you. And they're not harmful to them. And so if they are doing that, don't jump on them because they don't do it the way you do it. There are a lot of people who say, well, you got to do it the way I did it. It's not true. Each person comes to grace and faith and learns at the level they're at. Not everybody's at your level. People are at different levels. There's some people who, brand new to the faith, don't even know how to talk or to dress or to act because they've never experienced any of this. And so those folks need to be loved as they are and not condemned or judged for being different. And so he's using the example of someone who eats vegetables but not meat. He's not, he's not picking on vegans, okay? Please understand that. What he's saying is, if someone eats vegetables and not meat, you don't need to tell them you need to eat meat and you're wrong for not eating meat and you should eat more than just vegetables. He says, don't worry about that. That's between him and God. That's what he's eating. Why, why in the world will we waste our brain cells on that? Why would we do that? Yeah, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by cutting somebody else's plan down. And ours is no better in their eyes. Because they'd be thinking, well, why are you eating meat? You shouldn't be eating meat. You should be eating vegetables. And now you've got a debate going on. And it says, why would you want to dispute over doubtful things? Doubtful things means things that are right or wrong by opinion. Don't eat meat. It's bad for you. That's an opinion. Don't not eat meat because it's bad for you. That's an opinion. Different people have different opinions. It doesn't make them right or wrong. It makes them have different opinions. I went to a church one time and, uh, well, this is back in the day. And it, and it was said that women should not wear pants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And women should not put their hair up in a bun, but should let it lay long because of the glory of God's in their hair. And so there were churches that were judging people. And when we went, I went with a friend and she wore dress pants. And we couldn't understand why they shunned her for her clothing. Dress pants, dress decent, professionally, and... Later, after service, someone said, she should not be dressed like a man. Oh, yeah, That's what they say. And then my response was, well, in the New Testament time, the men wore robes. And if she wore a dress, you would think she was dressing like a man as well. So what should she wear? Because you can make the case both ways, Right? It's their standards, which pants didn't exist. I hate to tell you this, but I don't think pants existed a whole lot in this time and frame. Well, they didn't. They wore long robes, didn't they? They didn't have uh, blue jeans. Yeah, they didn't have blue jeans either. <laughs> That's for sure. Or high heels. <laughs> whole bunch of stuff. And the women mostly made their clothes. I exactly. I don't know if they did back then or not. I don't know. They made shirts, but they didn't have, the Bible doesn't say much about pants. No, no. If you shop at Kmart instead of Walmart, there's something wrong with you, right? <laughs> or is Kmart? We don't even have any. No, I think they're all gone. So, um, 
So like in verse 5, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day the same. So what? Why make a big deal out of it? That's what he's saying. This, you, be smart about this. Let each person be fully convinced in their own mind that what they're doing is right before God. If I'm doing what I think is right before God, and you're doing something different, that doesn't mean I have a right to tell you what you're doing is wrong or what you say to me, what I'm doing is right or wrong. Because it's between me and God and how He's asked me to serve Him. Like I get up every morning at 4.05 and I go to the restroom, then I go down and I read my upper room and do my devotions. And about 4.45, I'm doing that. Now, if you don't do it till 5 o'clock, does that make you wrong? About 9 o'clock. <laughs> 9 o'clock? Heck, I've already had my second breakfast. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that don't make me wrong if I don't have my no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And you're a bus driver. You should know better than this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so if we, if we say, now listen, you're not having breakfast at 10 o'clock. You're having lunch. You can't call it breakfast. It's brunch. You start arguing on stupid stuff. Paul's going, why are you doing this? This makes no sense. It is not a statement of love. It's a statement of values and opinions, but it had nothing to do with the kingdom of God or loving people. Nothing in this has anything to do with love. Nothing has nothing to do with supporting and encouraging one another. And that's what he's trying to get at. Um, so whoever deserves, observe a certain day, observe it to the Lord. And whoever doesn't observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. That, it's all between them and God. Right. That's your wrong. If you have the Sabbath as your day, which is Saturday, as your day to worship, fantastic. Yeah. If you have it as Sunday, fantastic. Well, you should do it on Sunday. I'm worshiping the Lord. What does it matter to you as long as I'm worshiping the Lord and God and I are good? This is not something you should tell me I shouldn't be doing. So you, could, you think your Sabbath can be on any day? Well, Absolutely. When I when I used to work, uh, I had Mondays, what was my other day, and Saturday off when I was a youth pastor in Chicago, and my Sabbath was Monday. It was Monday. I didn't do anything on Monday. That was my Sabbath. What did you do on Sunday? I had to go to church, preach and teach and all that, yeah. Well, no, not for me. Oh, okay. For me, it was Monday. Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day of rest. That's the day I rested was Monday. And for a long time, I always thought Monday was a rest day until I started joining the workforce, and that was the first day of the work week. It took me a while to start wanting to work on Monday. I always thought the Sabbath was Sunday. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it home. Sabbath day was actually a Saturday. Saturday. It was actually, well, Friday at sundown to sun, Saturday at sundown. Sundown to sundown. Uh, that's when it actually was. We think of Sabbath as a day to worship, worship God like Sunday is. Yeah. Right, where well, you're not supposed to do any work. That's why I say I went to my friend's house. I didn't do any work because I was helping him. And it didn't benefit me at all. <laughs> uh, so, and so the, the, to, to, to the deserve it to the Lord. Now, he who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, he does that to the Lord. You're not doing it to somebody else, but to the Lord. And he gives God thanks. Now, none of us, Live to themselves and no one dies to themselves. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to God. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So why judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. We don't need to show contempt because someone does something different than us. We should celebrate that they're doing it and enjoying God's presence and provision in their life, and celebrate them. To love them as they are, not as we want them to be. It's 7.04. And I had a thought, I was going to say it, but maybe I'm not supposed to because it's 7.04. He took it away from No, it's still up there. I just didn't know if I should say it or not. But I'll say it the best way I know how. 
Henry Cloud is a, a Christian writer. Uh, Cloud and Townsend wrote the book Boundaries. He's a, he's a well-versed uh, man, well-read. And he said something one time that really, really, really touched me. He said, a lot of people go to church and they want other people to think they're doing fine. And so they put on this, I call it false self, but this mask, and I don't mean COVID mask, I mean a, a false identity, facade. that every, yeah, facade, that everything's okay. And as long as everybody else there sees that, and they see you're okay, they think, well, everything's okay. But if you say, come in as a mess, they're going to think, well, you know, you're not wearing that mask and you're not pretending everything's okay and God's great and you're all joyful. So since you're miserable and, and wretched today, there's something wrong with you. And I don't know why you're not acting like you should for God. But a church is actually a place where you're supposed to come broken and wounded and say, I, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I need Jesus. And people are supposed to show you grace. Then when you say there's something wrong with you, you say, welcome home. We're all in the same boat. And, then, and when someone walks in and says, man, I'm great. God's good. I don't have any problems, no struggles whatsoever. And someone looking and say, there's something wrong with that person. Because that's fake. It's a facade. We come in with our own devastations, our own hurts. And if we say, well, I don't have any and I'm doing great and I'm blessed and highly favored when actually I feel like I'm dying and I don't know if God loves me. How do you find healing for something you can't talk about? The church needs to be a place where you can be you and not be judged for being something you're not. And not to be rejected because you didn't act like <laughs> nothing's wrong. Church is a healing place. It's a hospital. When we come to the great physician, and if everything's great, we say, well, I don't need Jesus. Everything's great. <laughs> it's not true. I need Jesus every minute of my life. And so the church should be a place of hope and healing, and we should be able to say, I need that. And, and, but instead, people say, well, if you go to church, some people think because you're regular at church, that you think you're better than yeah, that's what they think. But it's, it, it's, it's not the case. The opposite, I come to church because I know I'm not. Yes. Because I know there's only one who is good. And it's not me. It's Him. He's the only one righteous. There is no other righteous. There's no other unbroken person. Unsinful person. And I walk in the door. I may be having a sermon or two that I can preach, but I'm still sinful. I still need grace. I still need the blood of Christ. And if I say everything's fine, then I'm saying I don't need God. Because I am fine. The only person who can say I am fine and be truthful about it is God. He's the only one who can speak to you. You're fine. Until he says it, I can't. <laughs> He's the only one who has that judgment call. Yes, you're good to go. He's the only one who can make that value call. And he makes it through the blood of Jesus Christ on a broken people in this world. And that's what Paul's saying here is, why would we want to show contempt when we're all in the same boat? Not we're all good. We're all feeling great together and happy on Sunday. But if we came on Sunday dressed the way we feel <laughs> instead of the way we want to present ourselves, there'd be some people in here with... Clothes and hair disheveled so bad. Um, and we go, yeah, what's wrong with them? The whole fact that matters, there's nothing wrong with someone coming to Jesus for help. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. What is crazy is people come and say, I'm fine, I don't need anything from God today. I need His grace every day. His mercies are new every morning because of that. And this is what Paul's trying to get us to see here in this chapter and in these sections. And, and out of that, then I can love and you can love 
Because no matter what you do, or how you eat it, <laughs> or, or, or how you observe God in your worship, you're trying to find God. Why would I complain about that? Why would I be upset with you if you're worshiping God by not eating meat? Why would I be upset if you're finding your day of rest is Thursday and you find joy in worshiping God and resting on that? Why should I be upset about that when you're finding joy with God? I should be thankful and say, thank you, God, that you allow them to use Thursday as their day instead of being locked into a box on a day they have to work or have other obligations. It would be totally crazy in my mind for God to say, you shall not work on Sunday except preachers and ambulance drivers and police officers and electric workers and people who provide water and food. All of a sudden, our day of rest is conflicting with that. But if I don't preach on Sunday and it's your rest day and you want to come in here to the word of God, what are we going to do? Just all sit here and look at each other? Like the Quakers? Who's going to say a word? Well, I can't. I'm resting. <laughs> I got a great sermon. I can't preach it because the command not to do anything. Right? Can't do it. But this is what Paul's saying. It's almost ridiculous when you break it down like that. And that's what he's trying to do. To make it overly simplified. And so it's not about authority. Not about right or wrong. It's about loving God with all you are and loving each other. And stop getting in the way of that. <laughs> and that is where we got to stop. Where we get to? 12. 14-12. That's as much as we've ever made it through in a night either.